Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The Christian life is the most exciting life in the world. And when you think that we have been invited into this work that God's doing in the world, he's invited us to come and be part of it. But he tells us we're to provoke one another. We're to stir each other up so that we together would be engaging in showing love and doing the good works, the things that advance the kingdom. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, in a message titled, Draw Near, Hold Fast, Stir Up. Now, here's Pastor Brian. You know, we're living in a time where it's more and more the case where there's lots of ridicule coming to people for their faith in Jesus. And where, you know, maybe in the past people, you know, made a little bit of fun of you or whatever, or just kind of ignored you or whatever. Now there's a little more aggression in the culture today. There's a little more mockery in those things. And of course, none of us like that. We don't like to be mocked. We don't like to be ridiculed. We don't like to be made fun of. And because that happens, there's a temptation to loosen our grip a little bit. There's a temptation to just veer from the course a little bit so we, we get freed up from that. But he's saying, no, hold fast to your confession. You see, that's what was happening to them. As I pointed out before, for them, going back to the old system which was a religious system, remember, and it was the system that God had worked through, but going back to that meant security. It meant life would get so much easier. It meant that they would be back on good terms with their family and their neighbor, and that, that's what the big attraction was. Here they are. They're believing in the Messiah, and everything is kind of falling apart around them. They don't have a permanent place to worship. They don't have a temple. They don't have a visible priesthood and all of this pomp and all of this ritual. They don't have any of that. Now they're just meeting in little houses here and there. And the leaders of the churches are being persecuted and they're being put in jail and those kinds of things are going on. And so for them, you could see how there would just be a temptation just to compromise, just to blend in. I don't, you know, I'll just be quiet. I won't say anything. It was that ridicule that was tempting them to loosen their grip. Or in in their case, especially as we'll read next time, there was deprivation. They lost their homes. They lost their belongings. They lost their position, some of them. And he mentions it later on in the 10th chapter. Those were the things that happened to them. And of course, again, when these things happen, there's suddenly that thought like, well, you know, I don't like this. Maybe I need to pull back a little bit. Maybe I need to just tone it down. Maybe I just, you know, I, I shouldn't tell anybody I'm, I'm a Christian. I don't want anybody to know. I'm, I'm not going to talk about spiritual things anymore because it's just resulting in this kind of a thing. That's the temptation that comes our way. And sometimes, as again was the case with them, there's outright persecution. And all of these things are 
intentionally designed by the enemy of our souls to get us to not hold fast to our confession, but to loosen our grip. But notice what it says. It says, hold fast our confession of hope without wavering, for he who called you is faithful. God is faithful. And he's going to see you through it. He's going to bring you through it. And there's, there's a blessing that's coming. We have to remember that the circumstances that we find ourselves in today will not go on forever. We're living in a Christ-rejecting world. We're living in a Christ-rejecting culture. We're living in a time when there's building opposition to the gospel and the person of Jesus. And, you know, it's amazing how we're seeing things turn so rapidly. I was talking to a friend yesterday who lives in Europe, and he was telling me how uh, in 10 years he's seen such a change in the culture where nowadays, you know, you can be of any religion and talk freely about it, and nobody's going to bat an eye, or they, they couldn't care less. But man, you start talking about Jesus, and you are immediately like public enemy number one. And that's the way the world is. And it's becoming increasingly like that as time goes on. But listen, it's not always going to be that way. God is faithful. He's going to carry us through the hard times. But, you know, there's a day coming when the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and the glory of the Lord. And there's coming a day when God is going to judge his enemies. I was thinking last night about the, just that picture that we have given to us in the second Psalm. Why did the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth took counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Christ. And what are the kings of the earth saying? They're saying, let us cast their cords from us. Let us break free from the restraints of this idea of a God and his Christ. That's what the world is saying today. But what does God say? He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. He shall hold them in derision as though man could really break away from God. It's impossible. We know that. And so we might have to, though, persevere through challenging times, but knowing full well, having full faith and confidence that God is faithful, and it's all going to work out in the end. He's going to reign just as he promised that he would. And if we have to suffer ridicule, deprivation, even persecution in the meantime, then that's what we do, because that's what the people of God have always done. And remember, Jesus told us about these things himself. He told us when people speak evil against you falsely for my name's sake, he said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Nothing, this is nothing new. So just like they were being tempted by the difficult circumstances to draw back, we might find ourselves in similar types of things. What do we do? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. No wavering, just sticking to our commitment to Christ. And then thirdly, he says in verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So let us draw near, let us hold fast, and now let us consider one another in order to stir up 
love and good works. We have the responsibility to look out for each other's spiritual welfare. We are to stir up each other. Another translation reads provoke. We are to consider one another in order to provoke one another to love and good works. So what, what does that look like? Well, it first of all looks like we need to talk to each other about God. You know, when we talk to each other about God, there's, there's something that's just, there's encouragement that comes from that. There's a stirring that takes place. I know for myself, when I you know, get in conversations, great conversations about God, the things of God, I think of something like the nature of God. And you start talking with somebody, or, or maybe you're reading a book about the attributes of God, the nature of God, and you start to see God in a new light. You start to see him for who he really is, his greatness, his magnificence, these kinds of things. And you share that with other people. You talk about that. Man, there's something about that that just builds you up. That's what we're supposed to do for each other. We have to connect with each other. We have to speak to each other about the nature of God, speaking to each other about the saving work of God. But again, if we're going to speak about these things, we've got to know about these things. So we've got to study these things. We've got to be in God's word and we've got to be reading you know, good materials that are going to teach us more about the depths of God's nature and about God's redemptive action. And, and, and then we've discover those things ourselves, and then we pass those things on to other people. And man, that all has a way of just stirring us up and encouraging us in our faith. And I love that. I love to have conversations with people where they're sharing with me insights that God's given to them about, say, the, the redemptive work of Christ, you know, what Jesus gave up to save us, what he went through in his suffering to bring us to God, and those kinds of things stir our hearts, or we talk to each other about the plan and the purposes of God. And that's another thing that's thrilling when you get together with people and you're talking about what God is doing in their lives, what God is doing in your life, and what God wants to do in the days ahead. You know, the Christian life is the most exciting life in the world. And when you think that we have been invited into this work that God's doing in the world. He's invited us to come and be part of it. But he tells us we're to provoke one another. We're to stir each other up so that we together would be engaging in showing love and doing the good works, the things that advance the kingdom. So talking to each other about God and also praying for one another for opportunities to show love and engage in good works. You know, there's something very powerful about praying for each other. You know, some people have the question, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know what his will is. I don't know what my gifts are. I don't know what kind of service I might do for him. Hey, let's pray. Let's ask God to reveal that to you. Let's ask him to show. And you get around and you just lay hands on somebody and you pray for them. And you know what happens? God begins to reveal things. He begins to show things. He begins to open doors. He begins to give clear direction. I'll never forget the night many, many, many years ago when I was in a prayer meeting with a group of friends. And one guy suddenly laid hands on me and said, God, I just pray that you get Brian fired from his job and I pray you get him into full-time ministry. 
And I was like, what? What, what in the world kind of prayer was that? But you know what? It happened. It did. It happened. It happened soon. I had a good job. I got laid off at the end of that week. It was amazing. And, you know, from that point forward, it was just kind of one step after another that, that eventually led me into full-time ministry. That prayer, that very prayer, that specific prayer, God specifically answered. And I can think of so many prayers in, in looking back on that season with that group of people, so many prayers that were answered. But we do that for one another. That's what it means to consider and to stir up. We pray for one another. And then together we seek out opportunities to show love and engage in good works. We don't just pray about it, but then we, we look for the opportunities to come along. And, you know, as a church, collectively, we have many different things that we're involved in. Many ministry opportunities that happen right here on the grounds that pertain to the, to the body here, but many other opportunities that go out into the community. We just recently had a thing where we're connecting with the city, and they've got needs in, in the community. The city has needs, and they don't have the uh, staff to meet those needs. So as a church, we make ourselves available. Hey, you know, we've got a team. We can come over. We can do that. What would you like us to do? And man, they're like, wow, that's great. And so we get to go out and we get to serve in that kind of a way in the community. And then, of course, you're out there with people who aren't believers and they're asking questions like, well, where are you guys from? What are you doing? How come you're doing this? You're doing this for free? Nobody's paying you? And, you know, it gives an opportunity. So we've got these kinds of things that are happening. But then, of course, these are things that you can step out and do on your own as well. Because for you personally, there might be unique things that come along. But we provoke one another to those things. Somebody might say, well, you know, I, I don't know. I think I've got this opportunity coming up and maybe I should do this. And somebody else says, you know what? Yeah, you should do that. I think God's opening that door. You need to take that step of faith. That's the kind of thing that he's talking about here. And so we consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. But listen, notice what he goes on to say. In order for this to happen, we have to be engaging with each other. And so he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. We need to be in fellowship as Christians. Now, he, he refers here to some who were out of fellowship. He says, don't, don't be like that. You know, you cannot be an independent Christian. You can't thrive the way God intends, nor will the church thrive if you're absent from it because you've got a contribution to make to the church and the church has a contribution to make to you. So, we all have to be engaged. We all have to be plugged in to the church. And we need to do that. You know, here we are on Sundays and great. You know, but, you know, sometimes people come to church on Sunday because it's just a traditional thing to do. That's the day you go to church. But do you have fellowship with people throughout the week? It doesn't have to be here on the church grounds. You could have a home group, a community group, something like that. But engaging with others that you're provoking, that you're challenging each other. 
that you're encouraging one another to grow in your faith and to step out and to serve God and those things. That's what we're talking about here. So not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And so in order to do what he's told us to do, we have got to be in fellowship or community with other believers. And you cannot fully develop as a disciple of Christ apart from other believers. We need each other. And so he says, exhort one another, exhorting one another, encouraging one another. And so make sure you're plugged in, not just coming on Sunday morning. I mean, I'm glad you're here. Keep coming. This is great. But don't just stop with that. Get yourself plugged in. We have a ton of other opportunities to get engaged on a, on a smaller level, maybe. We've got men's fellowship and women's fellowship, and we've got a variety of different things. But listen, the important thing is that we are exhorting one another. We're coming together. We're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But we're recognizing that we need each other. And he says to do this as you see the day approaching. Now, I was thinking about this as, as he's writing this to that group of Jewish Christians there in the first century. And as I mentioned before, I believe that they were in Jerusalem. And as he refers to the day approaching, what is he talking about there? Is he talking about the, the, the coming destruction of Jerusalem and the scattering of the people? Maybe so, because that was on the horizon probably as this was being pinned. At the end of the letter, he reminds them here, speaking of Jerusalem, we have no continuing city. And so it could be that things were already building to where that whole thing, that conflict with Rome was going to come to a head. So you see the day approaching. It could have been that. Or he could have been referencing the coming again of Christ, the second coming. Or he could have been referencing just the fact that None of us have an unlimited amount of time. And we don't know how much time we have in this life, do we? But we do know this. Our time is limited. And that day approaching could very well be just the end of your life. You know, you have an opportunity to serve God today. And that opportunity will pass when your life is over. And so, really, the exhortation is make the best of, of the time that you have. Paul tells us in writing to the church in Ephesus, remember, he says, redeem the time. The days are evil. We don't have time to waste. Man, I was just talking to somebody in the back about how fast time is going by. And I've heard, I heard this when I was younger. I heard that, you know, the older you get, the faster time goes by. You know what? That was true. <laughs> I'm experiencing that. And, you know, we were talking, I thought, well, maybe it's because we kind of just are so busy. We do so many things. We kind of go from event to event and outreach to outreach and conference to conference. So it's just, you know, it's just like a whirlwind. But, but you know, buy back the time because we've only got a limited amount while it is today, exhort one another. The day is approaching. And if he's talking about the second coming of Jesus, which he might very well have been, of course, as we look at the world today, man, 
Talk about things escalating. Talk about things speeding up. You know, I've been reading the book of Revelation again, and one of the things that it says in the book of Revelation, it talks about, you know, Jesus says many times, behold, I come quickly, or the things that must shortly take place. And the word there doesn't mean shortly in the sense of, you know, it's going to be just in a few weeks. What the word really means is with rapidity. When it, when it happens, it's going to happen so quickly. Things are just going to go like lightning. And man, you know, so many people have been noticing the fact that we are just so rapidly deteriorating as a nation. The, the world is, is so rapidly uh, unraveling and, and going into a state of chaos. All of these things are reminding us of the Lord's coming. So as, as we see that day approaching, as we don't know how much time we have collectively, we don't know how much time we have personally, we got to make the best of the time that we have. And how do we do that? By drawing near to God, by holding fast to our faith, and by considering one another and stirring each other up, provoking each other to love and good works. By coming together as the people of God and worshiping and seeking and praying and then through that, getting vision and going forth. I think of the apostles. I'll close with this. I think of the apostles in uh, Acts chapter 13. There in the church in Antioch, it says that they were there ministering to the Lord. And there are some names given there. And Barnabas and Saul are mentioned there amongst others. And it says as they were fasting and ministering to the Lord, the Lord spoke and said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to. You see, that happened in the context of community. It happened in the context of fellowship. And God spoke. How did he speak? Was it an audible voice that just broke into the thing? Maybe, but it was probably somebody else sitting in the prayer circle that received a prophetic word. God spoke through them. And they believed that that was the word of the Lord, and they sent Barnabas and Paul out, and that's how the whole missionary endeavor began. And so, these are the things. In light of this amazing, direct, total access that we have to the throne of grace, these are the things that we are to do. Draw near to God personally, and remember the promise, he will draw near to you. Hold fast what we have and consider one another and stir one another to love and good works. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There are certain Christian books that we would refer to today as classics, books that have just stood the test of time and generation after generation of Christians have benefited from them. There is a book that is recently published called Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. And, you know, many people are already saying that this is a Christian classic. Now, Gentle and Lowly is taken from the passage in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says of himself that he is gentle and lowly in heart. 
And so this book is looking at Jesus through that lens, and we're going to find out that Jesus is much more gracious, much more patient, much more loving than we ever imagined him to be. So this is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it, especially for anyone who has a tendency to feel like they failed God, they've let him down, you're not sure about God's love for you. This book is going to, I think, forever give you the right perspective on the heart of Jesus for his children. So check it out, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. You can order the book Gentle and Lowly by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.